Well, I want to welcome you to your town this morning. Um, if you're new here, I just want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Uh, I have some good, dear friends of mine that are, that are here. And so it's just exciting to see new people and new faces here this morning. And if you are new and sometimes you wonder, I guess you walk into this kind of a, uh, a service or gathering and you see us doing some kind of weird things and you wonder, why do we do that? I, I just want to maybe walk through this really quick with you. Why do we sing songs? We just had a great time with music. Why do we do that? And here at Neartown, we believe that uh, we like to creatively express our affection and our devotion for God. Why do we preach from the Bible? In a second, I'm going to open up this Bible and we're going to read what Paul says. Why, why do we do that? We do that because we believe that this is God's inspired word. The answers to the questions that we have, we believe, are contained in this book. And then a little bit later, we'll take communion. We'll have some bread and some wine. And we do these things symbolically to remember Christ's death death and his sacrifice for us. Um, if you are uh, a regular here, you might know that I wasn't here last week. Halsey and I, for the first time, got to see her parents. We hadn't seen them since we've been married, and so they live in San Antonio, so we trekked on up there and had a, a really good time. They've got a new house, and uh, we went to church with them on Sunday morning, and it was a good church service, and it was, you know, it, it was pretty standard, but I really missed you, and it was weird because, like I said, I've been there about six months. But I didn't really realize until this week how much I've become accustomed to being here with you guys regularly and worshiping with you. I, I legitimately missed it. Halsey actually leaned over me during the service, and she was like, I miss Neartown. And I, I said, I said, I know, me too. And actually, I thought about coming back, but uh, we wouldn't be able to make it. It was like a three-hour drive. So um, we have a lot of really cool things that are going on in Neartown right now. Um, if you are a Facebook person, you might have seen that last night Lawton Outlaw proposed to his girlfriend, Christy. And so they are engaged. They're not here this morning, but uh, they are engaged. And we see them, encourage them in that. And also, we have three guys from our church. We have a picture up here. Three guys from our church went on a mission trip to East Africa. And um, if you want to know some stories, talk to them. Because there were some good times and there were some rough times for them. And so I've heard a few stories already, but... Um, they're back with us, and uh, like I said, I mean, Newtown Church, for as new as it is, is doing great things, not only in America, but in the nations. And so we have a value of global impact here in Newtown. So this is a picture of the three guys that the one up there with Christian, Andrew, and Matt, and so they're faithful parts of um, Newtown. There is the story in the Gospel of Luke in the ninth chapter. And this story is very, very interesting and peculiar. Basically what it is, is it is Jesus in the midst of a group of guys, okay? And so this one guy walks up to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I want to follow you. He wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus looks at him, and he gives him this really, really, really weird response. He says that foxes have holes, that birds have nests, but the Son of Man, who is him, has nowhere to rest his head. It's a weird answer. What does that mean? What does that do with me following you? Then the next thing Jesus does, he looks at another guy in the group and he says, follow me. The guy says, I will follow you, but first, let me go bury my father because he's recently passed away. And Jesus says something that might make him sound kind of anti-family. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. That's, that's not very sensitive. And then, Jesus, then another guy comes to Jesus and goes, well, I want to follow you too. And Jesus says, and he's like, well, I want to follow you. Jesus is like, well, follow me. And he says, well, okay, I, I will follow you. But first, got to go tie up some loose ends with my family and the house and my friend before I come. And then Jesus says something very interesting. And this kind of 
puts together everything we're going to talk about this morning. He says that anybody who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. He says, he, I mean, he references something back then, obviously plowing and, and, and agriculture was, was big back then. And so they understood the analogy, but they didn't know what he was saying. He's saying, follow me. He's not the anti-family. Jesus, when he, when he passed away, when he died, when he knew he was about to be crucified, he had someone who he set specifically to look out for his mother. He was very family-oriented. But what he is saying here is that in comparison to Jesus, everything else must be secondary. Following Jesus should be our main focus. And this morning we're going to be talking about that following Jesus requires a forward focus. If you have your Bibles, if you return me to the book of Philippians, if you do not have a Bible this morning, we have some back here for you. If you'll just raise your hand. Uh, we have Bibles here if anybody needs one. Um, we're in the book of Philippians, the third chapter this morning. And uh, like I said, we've been walking through this book. Got a couple up here. We've been walking through this book. We're almost done with it. Paul is in prison. He's writing this church that has many come under some false teachers, just some confusion. But he's writing to them today in this passage, chapter 3, verse 12 and beyond. He's saying that following Jesus requires a forward focus. Would you stand with me this morning as we read God's word together? Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to the end of the third chapter, and then we're going to do the first verse of chapter 4. Paul says this to the church in Philippi, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. May God bless the reading of his word. May we see you this morning. Let's look at verse 12. Only verse 12. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul says, I press on. Following Jesus is not a one-time decision, church. It is a lifelong commitment that does have a beginning point. There is this very famous prayer in the church, and you might have heard of it. It's called the Sinner's Prayer. And this is a prayer that kind of began popping up around the 18th century during uh, various revivals in America and certain parts of Europe. And it was a certain kind of prayer that was very systematic, very organized. And basically what you did is you came before God and you prayed and you said, I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I accept you in my heart. And people would believe that if you genuinely said that, you were saved. And this prayer was kind of, kind of, kind of gradually grew, but it, it reached its peak and its climax during this past century when Billy Graham, who was a famous preacher and evangelist, 
used this as a main strategy in a lot of his revivals. They'd have these big conferences and arenas, and, and thousands and thousands of people would come, and he would give a message, and at the end, you would, would be asked to come down if you wanted to accept Jesus. You would say the sinner's prayer, and then people would believe, if you genuinely said this, that you were saved. But something the church started realizing, especially towards the end of the, the last century, was people would say this prayer, and then like, nothing would happen. They, they would say the sinner's prayer, they would ask for forgiveness, they would walk out of a building thinking that they were saved, thinking that they were fine, but not realizing that it's not a one-time decision, but a lifelong commitment. Here, here's, here's a newsflash, this is something that I was convicted of when I was studying for this text this week. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ask his followers to say the sinner's prayer. Jesus asks to follow me. When you're explaining someone the gospel, when you're telling them about Jesus, don't ask them to say some systematic prayer. Ask them to follow Jesus. Ask them to follow the words that are given to us here. You know, the, the church ought to realize that people would say this prayer, and then they would never see him again. They, they would have said some prayer, but where are all these people going? Where, where is all this genuine belief that was professed? The disciples that followed Jesus, they believed him, and they committed to him and following him every day Life. You know, I mentioned earlier that story about Jesus calling people to follow him. And the first step for the disciples was they had to believe that he was legitimate in terms of things he was saying. They had to believe he was worth listening to. But the second thing was they had to actually follow him. Back in Jesus' day, it was literally follow Jesus. I mean, like, you leave your house, you leave yourself, and you follow Jesus. Today we're asked to follow the commandments of Jesus in the word and in the church. Paul says, I press on. Paul viewed salvation, he, he believed, he, he viewed following Jesus as a journey. It was a lifelong commitment. I press on. It wasn't this one-time thing. One of uh, my favorite, um, I'm getting a master's degree in theology, and one of my favorite um, early church fathers is this guy named Origen. He's a, a Christian apologist, which means basically he would defend Christianity to the uh, skeptics of the day, to the philosophers that said, this is all just, you know, this is not legitimate. He would defend Christianity against them. And basically, back in his day, the big wigs were the philosophers. And Origen was actually a philosopher himself, but he was also a Christian. And basically, the philosophers said, look, this is not the way to find God. The way to find God is you've got to be really smart. You've got to kind of clear your mind of all these worldly things. You've got to think really deep. And maybe if you get deep enough in your mind, you'll find God. And so all of these philosophers would have claimed to have found God in their mind. And they found multiple gods in their mind and all these kind of weird things. And Origen, one of his biggest defenses against these, these enemies of Christianity, these philosophers, is he would say, okay, so you think you found God? You're telling me that you have found God in your mind, yet nothing in your life changes? You have found the God of the universe? You've answered the most important question of mankind, and you're like, okay, I've got it now, and, and go on with the rest of your life? He said, it doesn't make sense. Origen said, I believe that when you find the true God, which is the God of the Bible, everything changes. It's not an acknowledgement. It's not something you know. It's something that you know, but you also do. It's this lifelong commitment. And that's what gave the early church so much credibility. These were people that not only believed in Jesus, but their whole lives were different. People would see early Christians getting killed for what they believed, and it was just unlike anything else. There was a lot of beliefs at that time in the, early, in the ancient world, but for whatever reason, Christianity just had this, had this mix of of, of belief, but also action. Following Jesus is a lifelong commitment that requires action. Then Paul says, not that I have already obtained this. Paul, Paul is a strong believer. Paul believes 
He is in prison. He is under house arrest. And so based on his actions, okay, he has the actions, he has the belief, he has everything you need. But he says, I press on. He says, I haven't already obtained this. In other words, Paul says, I'm not there yet. It's a journey. It's not just something that I believe and I now know. It's this idea that I'm going to, to believe this thing and I'm going to turn it into a lifelong commitment of following Jesus. Because following Jesus is a lifelong commitment. And because of this, it requires a forward focus. We'll look back at our text, verse 13 through 16. Paul says this. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So this morning we're talking about following Jesus requires a forward focus. And this is the second thing this morning. We need perseverance to have a forward focus focus. I thought to illustrate uh, perseverance, I would throw a few pictures up here of really what I'm talking about. Can you put the first picture up there, please? This is what I call ultimate frisbee. Second picture? Perseverance. This is our pastor, Russell, sharing some meat with hyenas. And this is the hyena attacking Russell. This is perseverance. We got one more picture? This is one of the kids in East Africa that the group was with, literally running after the bus, giving everything he had, trying to keep up, because he was trying to figure out what was going on. We need perseverance. You know, Paul doesn't deny this Christian life isn't hard. He doesn't put up this kind of fake thing of saying that you know, you're going to have a bunch of money. Paul acknowledges he's in prison. In the church he's writing to, they've experienced false teachers, and they, they face pain. And he's telling them to persevere. And you know the thing about perseverance? It's not natural for us. If perseverance was the natural thing we, we did, there wouldn't be a term for it. If perseverance was just every time we faced an obstacle, we persevered and overcame it, it would just be like breathing or, or walking or anything else we normally do. But perseverance, unfortunately, isn't necessary for us. And that's why Paul is reminding us this morning that we need to persevere. We can't forget this. He's, he's telling this church that you need to persevere in the midst of your sin. And I, I think in our culture especially, perseverance is like almost a virtue. It's like a principle that we, uh, we greatly um, admire. We, we believe that our nation is here today because of perseverance of the, the founders of our nation. And we hear really, really cool stories. There's a man by the name of Howard Schultz, who is currently the CEO of Starbucks, which is obviously the biggest uh, coffee company in the world. I go there all the time. I'm, I'm sure you do too. And uh, basically, but Howard Schultz wasn't always the CEO of Starbucks. Howard Schultz actually came in as the marketing director. And basically, he was over in Europe once. He was doing some business. And he saw that European coffee shops, they weren't just like, you know, exchanging coffee for money. They were actually social hubs. Their customers would come, and they would hang out, and they would relax. And he was like, this is it. This is how, this is how we're going to grow a huge company. This is how we're going to make Starbucks the biggest company in America. We're going to bring it back, and we're going to implement that model. So he comes back to, his, to the three owners that own, this, that own Starbucks, and he says, look, this is the idea. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to make it like a social hub. We're going to make like a really cool environment where people like coming and talking. It'll be relaxing. It's not just going to be an exchange. It will actually be they come and sit down. And the owner said, it's crazy. It's not going to work. People aren't going to come and sit down and drink something. They'll sit down for food. They're not going to sit down and drink. 
They laughed at him. They said, that doesn't even make any sense. And so Howard Schultz, once he was so passionate about this idea, he was so passionate that he actually left Starbucks and started his own company, okay, with this idea of creating a social hub. And he did that. And this company did so well in the three years after he left Starbucks that he came back and he bought out Starbucks and he implemented this strategy. And now, as, we, as I'm speaking today, Starbucks is the biggest coffee company in the world. He persevered. They have now over 17,000 locations and 100,000 employees worldwide because he didn't give up. Walt Disney, when he first came out with the idea of Mickey Mouse, people thought it was kind of creepy. <laughs> they thought it was weird. Like, kids are going to want to watch some Mickey Mouse dance around, do dumb stuff, and that's, that's not going to sell. Well, today, Mickey Mouse is now the most recognizable cartoon character in the world. When he first wanted to open Disneyland, he, had, he got turned down 302 times by bankers trying to get a loan. And now it's the biggest theme park in the world because he did not give up. Would you give up on, if you got turned down 302 times, would you stop doing something? I feel like I probably would. Colonel Sanders, my, I'm a big KFC fan. I know it's kind of I'm a huge KFC fan. And Colonel Sanders drove around America for two years trying to get all the people to buy his chicken. He was turned down by over a thousand different Restaurant. He's like, you know, okay, I'm just going to start my own company because no one else will buy it. And now it's, it's beautiful, deliciousness chicken. <laughs> Arian Foster, for all you sports fans out there, the Houston Texans running back, he played for the University of Tennessee, and when he came out, he was excited about getting drafted in the NFL draft, but he didn't get drafted. There are seven rounds, and each of the 32 teams picks in every round. There were 320 players chosen over Arian Foster. He wasn't even chosen. The Texans invited him in, and he's like, well, it's my last shot. So he tries out, he makes the team, and today he's probably the best running back in the National Football League. And when he came out, no one even thought he was good enough to be drafted even, even late. To reach our goal, we need two things. We need ability and perseverance. Because let's be real, okay? If we, don't have, if, we have, if we don't have ability, but we have perseverance, then we're kind of wasting our time. There, there is an element of ability that we do need, okay? You know, I... I can try as hard as I want, but I can't be a center in the NBA, okay? I, I just can't do it. So you have to have some form of an ability. You have to have some for, sort of circumstance. But then again, if we don't have the perseverance but the ability, we're just wasting our ability. And so when Paul says here that he pushes on towards the prize of the upward call of Jesus, the ability and the strength that we have is Jesus. Paul says you do have the ability. Philippians 4.13, as a lot of you know, says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is our ability. And the perseverance comes through our forward focus, which is taking hope in eternity with God. Following Jesus requires a forward focus. I think a lot of times when we think of the word perseverance, we think of overcoming difficult obstacles. We think that when somebody perseveres, it's because they had uh, maybe a rough lot in life and they overcame it. And this is true. When we experience hardship, we need to press on. When we experience tragedy, we have the power in Jesus to press on. And this is true. Jesus can help us with these things. But, you know, there's another side of perseverance that Paul's talking about here. Paul is saying that even in the good times, the church needs to press on. Even when it's going well, because Paul, the church he's talking to here, they're not in horrible circumstances. To be honest, they've been quite successful. They, they've kind of stuck by Paul. They've, they've loved each other. They have some false teachers. But, I mean, for the most part, they're, they're a unified group. We need to persevere even in the good times of our life. You know, here at Neartown Church, we are a very, in terms of the world's eyes, 
Neartown's pretty successful. And I, I'm speaking as an outsider coming in. Like, when I first came to Neartown, I was very impressed. For a church our age to be doing the things that we are doing, it's, it's pretty significant. I mean, Neartown, just think about it. We are a little bit over one year old from, in terms of when we publicly launched the church. We just, we've been on several mission trips, not just to, to here, but to, to Africa, to overseas. We have over 100 people that generally gather every single week to listen to, to music and to teaching the Word of God. We have faithful givers and mission partners who give up their time and they give up their money. That's very successful in the church planning world in terms of the world's perspective. And sometimes, I have to be honest, it can be kind of tempting for near just to say, you know what? This is kind of good enough. That's what we got. I mean, it's good. Let's just keep it here. It's comfortable. We can go like, into established mode and just, just enjoy the people that come and not really kind of reach out. But as a staff, we always talk about, and Russell always mentions, taking new ground. Don't just accept what you're given. Press forward. Don't settle for good. In fact, don't settle for anything. Keep pressing on for the upward call of Christ Jesus. And this way, I just want to challenge you. If you are in a bad time, persevere. I, I believe that Jesus can, can get us through anything. I, I have seen examples in my own life, but even some really amazing examples in other people's lives of literally clinging to Jesus in the hardest times of our life and weathering the storm. But I also want to encourage you, if you've had a good season, if your business is going well, if, if your family is in a good state, press on. Keep going. There, there's even better than better in our lives. Realize that wherever you are at, it can be better if we persevere in Jesus. And so in order to have a forward focus, we need to persevere in this life. Let's, uh, let's read the last part of this text this morning. We've got in verse 17. Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they gloried in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Church is the last thing. We're talking about forward focus this morning. We're talking about following Jesus. We need to always be looking forward, always looking ahead. So you say, well, okay, what does that mean? What does looking forward give you? What, what, what is this forward focus we're talking about? The fulfillment of our forward focus is complete satisfaction in eternity with God. That's what Paul said. Eternity with God and complete satisfaction in every way is the fulfillment of our forward focus. I probably don't need to go into a lot of detail about what happened in Colorado this uh, past week. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about it. It's all over the news. It's a horrific tragedy. Um, it's all over the internet. It's all over everything that you could read anywhere. And you know what? I don't know about you, but there are certain times when I, when I read about something or I see something, and it makes me wonder kind of where I am. When, when I hear this horrific thing happening, and I think of my family and my wife and my friends, I, I just kind of, 
I feel like tragedy strikes, and then all of a sudden we realize exactly where we are, the kind of place that we, we are living in today. And I think as Americans, often we're kind of sheltered from a lot of these things. A lot of the oppression and, and the, the really awful things that kind of happen in the world, oftentimes as Americans, we don't really see it. But then something like this happens, and then we realize, we, we, we realize really, really quick the kind of place that we are living in, and we find ourselves in the midst of a selfish, and I mean selfish and broken world. And I don't know about you, but every time I see something like this and every time I hear about this, I think to myself, I don't belong here. This, I don't even want to be associated with this kind of stuff. I don't belong here. My wife, my family, my friends, my, my church family, we don't belong in this kind of place. I mean, that is real. What, what you are seeing on the news, that actually happened. There were people like you, just like you and me, that were in that theater when that happened. And, and friends, this morning, if there's one thing I can tell you, it's that Jesus came because this world is not as it should be. He came because things like this happen. He came because people murder and do awful things. We have sinned and we have rebelled from God. Every one of us has. And this is the result of sin in the world. <laughs> Jesus came to show in human flesh a different kind of reality. If we would listen to Jesus, if we would do what this Bible says, those kind of things would not happen in this world. You realize that, don't you? If we would actually listen to the words of Jesus, there's no way anybody could justify ever, for any reason, doing that sort of a thing. Jesus came to display the kingdom of God and to show how sure and fulfilling it is. It meets our needs. We find ourselves in this place of, of brokenness and realization of where we're at. He came to show us that we can live in a different way. He came to change human hearts and give us a forward focus. First Peter chapter 2, the author of that book, Peter, refers to us in terms of Christians, those that believe in Jesus, as sojourners and exiles in this world. Not a part of this world. He says, as Christians, we are something like travelers who long for our home. Our discontentment with this world is that of a foreigner who is away from home, a foreigner who has a purpose to be where he's at, but he really wants to be back home. That's why, that's why you're a foreigner. You go somewhere, you've got to do something, but you're, you're trying to get back home. And that's us as Christians. We are here for a purpose. I guarantee you, you have a purpose and a plan, but you really long to be home. This is where you're supposed to be. And the fulfillment of this forward focus, this longing that we have, this eternity with God in complete satisfaction. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. It's not on this earth. And oftentimes, I think in this world and in, the, in this you know, kind of space, time, earth that we kind of find ourselves in, we kind of walk around the world trying to find this pot of gold somehow. This, this fulfillment, the thing that's going to make us really, really happy and it's going to make us feel really good. But we're looking for this fulfillment. We look for possessions. We look for things that we think will satisfy us and, and, and meet our needs. And, and I've heard it said, and I believe this with all my heart, we always seem to be one thing away from happiness. We, we always think, man, if I just got this one thing, I'd be better. I, I'd be good. But we forget the last 15 things that were supposed to be that one thing. It was going to satisfy us. If I could just have this specs, if I could just have this job, if I could get a promotion at my job, if my kids just acted this way, if, if I just had this many friends, if I just was smarter or stronger, you name it. 
We're always one thing away from happiness. And, and this pot of gold that we're searching for is fulfillment and eternal satisfaction. And Paul says this does exist, but it exists in a different place, in a future place. And because this place is ahead of us, we look forward, to have a forward focus. Paul says there is nothing to look at here, so keep going. Press on. You're, you're supposed to, you're, your citizenship is in heaven, okay? Quit looking around here. Keep looking forward. And I know that heaven can be really, really hard to imagine at times. Uh, sometimes when I talk to people, they're like, so what is heaven? And they want to know, like, you know, aesthetics of heaven and, and, and people and, and all these types of things, the way it looks and everything. And, um, all, but all we need to know is heaven is everything we want. Don't get caught up in the details. Don't get caught up on, you know, don't, don't let harps and, and naked babies ruin your idea of heaven. Don't let that kind of, you know, little bubbly flying babies, don't, don't let that get in the way of what heaven really is. The benefit of heaven isn't all the white anymore. The benefit of heaven is we are satisfied in every way. And if you can't understand it, it's because you live here. If you can't understand why heaven would be great, it's because we're in the midst of sin. We live in a broken world. It's so great we can't even conceive why it would be great. That's what Paul's saying. There's no more living in sinful rebellion, just perfect fulfillment with God. That one thing comes, Paul says, but it comes in the future. And so we have a forward focus, which brings complete satisfaction in eternity with God. In closing, I want to read this text in the, the book of Hebrews, and it'll be up here on the screen. The author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This morning, God is calling you and me to lay aside our sin and to follow Jesus. He is calling us to lay down our past failures and successes and take hold of the eternity that is before us if we believe in Jesus. He is asking us to forsake this imperfect world and embrace the perfection of the coming kingdom, which Jesus began ushering into this world 2,000 years ago. He is asking us to let go of the temporary and accept the eternal. Yeah, Jesus came to save us from ourselves and the death that was inevitable. He lived a perfect life that would become our perfect life when we believe in him. And we're talking about perseverance this morning. Jesus displayed the ultimate perseverance when he overcame death. Paul says if we press on, if we make a lifelong commitment and we keep our focus forward, if we follow Jesus, which requires a forward focus, we will finish this race and we will receive the prize, which is eternity with God. If you are a believer this morning, I would ask that you would reflect on this. Maybe if you've been kind of getting distracted and you're so focused on the here and now and the past, which we tend to do. You know, it's a lot easier to think about the past and the future because the past has already happened. It's a lot easier to think of the present because we're here. It's really hard sometimes to think about the future. But I want to challenge you this morning to start looking forward. Because when we look forward to things that your problems, your current situ like situations, they don't look so bad anymore when we focus forward. 
If you're not a believer this morning, I just ask that you would search your heart, you consider the claims of Jesus. I believe that if we really search ourselves, we realize that this message of the gospel cleanses our sin and our dissatisfaction with the world. As a church, let's follow Jesus with a forward focus, never giving up and never settling. I pray that we would desire to be more like Jesus and encourage each other in this. I pray that tomorrow is always the focus of our church. Because in Jesus, there is always tomorrow. So this morning, church, I just want us to, to think during this next prayer time about the future and the glories that are to come. And just to focus on what is important. That we would follow Jesus, not just acknowledge Jesus. Would you pray with me?